1: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
2: Happy Thanksgiving. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that everything over at birdlandsports.com, all the t-shirts, sweatshirts, and other things is all on sale this week for Thanksgiving at 20% off. That includes film study t-shirts and sweatshirts. So head on over there and grab some Christmas gifts or grab a shirt or sweatshirt for yourself for all your Baltimore sports fans. Check out birdlandsports.com.
3: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, here to talk about this week's uh, numbers and by the numbers with co host Dan Reese. Dan, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing great. Uh, wasn't the prettiest win, but still a win. So, uh, so that was uh, that was great. And uh, looking for the team to hopefully get on a little roll and uh, pretty excited for Thanksgiving. So, it's, uh, it's a good week.
3: They've all of a sudden won four straight games, it feels like it's been a while since that's happened uh but uh but a good little winning streak here uh before we go into the numbers here though i have to thank our sponsor liquid death uh the water that will murder your thirst uh please try their product they've been good uh some delicious seltzer waters and regular depending on what you like they're served in a tall boy can a little more efficient in terms of recycling uh if you use plastic just remember it's headed for a landfill eventually and uh, that's one of the one of the selling points of this product that, it, that we appreciate uh that said, Dan, uh, folks w- can find you on Twitter exactly where?
4: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, DP eight, the number eight and uh, you know happy to talk Ravens or, uh, or whatever football related uh, you know reach out to me so All right, let's dive in. Uh, my first number is negative 0.37. That was the average EPA for the Ravens defense last week. So, wow. so negative is good for the defense. That's the fifth lowest EPA uh, in 2022 so far across anyone. So a remarkable performance by the defense, uh, really from start to finish, uh, fin- finished really strong. But even throughout the whole game, you know, they, they really, uh, you know, held really strong even despite the offense kind of putting them in, in in some tougher spots. So uh you know this was the second week in a row with a negative overall EPA uh for the defense, only the fourth fourth for the season overall for the Ravens. So they've really gotten on a a little roll the last two weeks and man did they look good.
3: Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do a little math with that if we can because if we, if we sure. hey this is by the numbers and we do that <laughs> so they had something like 54 defensive plays and it probably only measures them for that and if yep. I take multiply that by uh 0. 37 I get the 20 points below average is what they allowed which maybe that seems about right about 23 points and they only allowed three uh and expected points don't always work out to actual points of course but you know should come pretty close right?
4: Yeah, and they had a, a number of drives the you know the each team did so I think um you know that that probably probably makes sense so 23 okay. is probably pretty close to the average and um, especially given some of the field positions um, you know uh, that that the uh, that uh, Carolina was in so
3: and so you said it was the fourth lowest in the entire league for the year
4: fifth lowest the whole fifth year lowest. so there's yeah. been
3: maybe a couple shutouts a couple other three point games. Probably not too many people giving up three points in as few plays as the Ravens did. Also, uh, which which would reduce further, I guess, the expected points per play. Even that seems counterintuitive that it'd be going that direction.
4: Right. Yeah. It. it um. You know. I. I think the parity across the league has really been shown. I don't know how many shutoffs there have been. Um. Mm-hmm. Th- this year that'd be interesting to look at. But. Uh, but you know, I. I think it was really, you know, often. You know, um I, I guess oftentimes you you know hold hold strong until the end or, or whatever, but to hold all the way out and, and really finish strong was was pretty awesome to, to see. So
3: a very cool game. So looking back at that game also, Lamar Jackson averaged three point six five seconds to throw against the Saints. So the numbers I, I I'm jumping right to are 3.65, <laughs> 2.63, and 4.8. The 3.65, that was his average time to throw against the Saints, which was the longest in the NFL uh, by quite a margin, by the way. Against the Panthers, that dropped to only 2.63 seconds. So he released the ball more than a second quicker. And that was a function of a few things going on, but it was the seventh fastest. We'll come back to that in a second, among 32 teams. So between week 9 and 11, his intended air yards also dropped from 10.3 to 4.8. Now, that's also a consequence of getting that ball out quicker is you're going to be making some shorter throws. You're going to have less time to make some uh, deep shots. Some deep shots can actually be fairly quick. You can get that ball out in about 2.1 seconds if you're really just throwing a, a, you know, a, a go route down the sideline. But in this case, uh, this was a case of, of Jackson really having some time to make extended plays against the Saints, who are one of the rare teams who didn't really bring excessive pressure after him. Well, Carolina was back to trying to pressure Jackson uh, they were fairly effective at it. They pressured him 15 times in the game. And what that meant was Jackson was having to get the ball out quickly uh, a lot more often. And, uh, and they did some scheme that as well. And another big factor that played into this was the weather. And I think whether you're looking at the Ravens playing, the you know, having a substandard run game, the weather played a factor in that because, of course, the line of scrimmage gets more packed when the other team is not... Uh, As fearful of the pass, Uh, obviously they had some good good play from uh, from some of the Panthers' big player. I thought that you know Burns looks like a monster to me, but the even larger monster is Derek Brown in the middle of that defense, uh, causing havoc in the middle. So uh, uh, you know, good game for the Ravens to uh, to pick a win out when Jackson really didn't have his normal amount of time to throw.
4: Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an an interesting game for sure on um, you know a number of aspects. Uh, a lot of a, a lot of screen pass attempts. I, I mm-hmm. thought uh, not not many successful, uh, but a lot that were were attempted or or um, you know were close, I guess. And then and quite a few checkdowns as well, which was uh, interesting to see from Lamar. He hasn't been. Um, you know, that, that really hasn't been something he's gone to a lot. It was kind of good to see him, you know, take his reads and, and kind of get to it. That probably doesn't play into the time to throw as much, but definitely does with the depth of target for that one. So, um, but I, I think, um, you know, it, it is interesting to see how the different teams have, have chosen to play him and, uh, and how the offense has kind of adjusted, um, accordingly. So. All right. Um, My next number is six. Uh, There were six drives that ended uh, for the Ravens this week between the 50 and Carolina's 25. So not quite in the red zone, but over midfield um, without any points, excuse me. So the Mm -hmm. six of them, that they got to that point and didn't convert to points. They stalled at the 43, the 45, the 29, the 41, the 40, and the 41 again. Resulted in five punts and one interception, and this was out of eleven drives, so not including the final one uh, where it was just the the kneel. Um, so over half the drives kind of stalled in this sort of like middle no man's land almost. Um, you know, so I'm not sure if there's a term for that area of the field, but uh, you know, it really was um, kind of uh, it, it. It kind of explained how the offense was doing okay but not quite able to get there for points and i think that was uh really really what what kind of showed in the game. Uh it was really interesting because all season before this week the ravens have only had six drives that stalled between the wow. 15 and 25. So uh equal equal their whole season so far just to kind of put it in in uh in comparison to where it's been. Uh there were two more where they i didn't count them in the six that that they tried field goals and missed so that they should have gotten points or could have gotten points, I guess. So you could call it eight, depending depending on what you want to look. Either way, you know, six to either six or eight is remarkable to have that many in one game. And it really just shows how close they were to putting up more points um, and, uh, you know, making this not a close game at all. And uh, it, it was an interesting aspect of the game, I thought.
3: Yeah, not not a certainly not a close game. A lot of thirty yard drives for the Ravens, as I always say when when they when they do some of this. But there's one I want to focus on, and this is an interesting one, Dan, because this this is going to require some of your actual real talent, I think, to work through this. Um, the Ravens got to the 45 at the beginning of the second quarter, literally on the first play of the second quarter. Sent Mark Andrews to the line of scrimmage to try and draw the opponent offsides. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. You And they ended up taking a penalty and uh, punting the ball at that point. But it was a fourth and two. And I look at that play, and my initial reaction, I was at the ballpark, I wasn't looking at the Ben Baldwin bot, was that there, there has to be a positive expectation for going for it on that play in terms of expected points. But expected points, if you did everything by expected points, you might make some bets in a game like this that you don't want to make. And here's the point I'm making. You're playing the Carolina Panthers. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, you, you you far outclass them. And I know you know there are times during this game where it didn't really seem like the Ravens far outclass the Panthers, but they, they really are a much better team than Carolina. And they should have the expectation that if the game is decided by a number of small bets, meaning all the plays that are made in their normal order of consequence, adding a big bet shouldn't really help the Ravens the way it would help a team who would otherwise be the underdog in the game? So another way, and, we, and you know, we learn about CAPM as actuaries, capital asset pricing model, and and you know, it, one of the assumptions that underlies that is that everybody is a rational mean variance analyzer. But now I'm wondering about: is there another layer to looking at um, uh, exp- sorry uh, fourth down choices, mm-hmm. where you look not only at expected points but also in the variance of the move? and you could you could i mean you could define that in multiple ways but you know you, you, the your expected value is obviously your friend but your enemy when you're the favor favorite in particular is is the is the variance of that wager so y-
4: right yeah absolutely and and really i think that's the the challenging part um with looking at these models and a lot of it is you know that that's the average expected outcome mm-hmm. over a huge population right it's not the average of of one game, you know, that there's, say it's a 50, 50, there's a 50% chance you make it. And then you have a higher percent chance of winning, but a 50% chance of of not getting it. And your likelihood of losing increases probably significantly. So, um, so I think that's the, I think that's to your point is, you know, you'd rather, you'd rather let your strengths and edges, throughout the game kind of play out versus, um, you know, versus, you know, versus kind of taking the risk and, and, and w- in a one game situation, right. You know, if you were playing baseball or something like that, where it's hundred and 180 games or whatever it is, uh, you could take more risk. But in this short, short season, I think it, it really um, makes the risk uh, much more dangerous. So.
3: I wanted to ask you cuz you're into the EPA models I know and and you you're you're familiar with Enso faster. Are you aware of any of the change in wind probability models referring to the variance also? It's it's usually got the you know it's almost always got the standard – the not the the uh, the mu, the expected value, but do any of them give you the variance on a particular play as well?
4: Uh no, I don't think so. Um I don't think any of them well, I'm sure all of the models have it right in, in in the formulas but not in the um the engines that kind of derive it as part of the natural right. data yeah
3: so so you wouldn't get it in the Ben Baldwin bot or something the the other you know the other way they could show is just show the leverage so and and I think the Ben Baldwin bot does, does actually show you that so they show you if you make it you're at you know 64% but if you miss it you're at 50 and that would be like a huge wager that you're making on a single play of the type I'm talking about you if You're the Ravens and you're playing at home against the Panthers, you might not want to make that gamble for just a one percent expected gain,
4: yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think, I think also it, it really kind of goes into a, a lot of kind of whether you're using the you know general population model versus you know, uh, you know, whether you have a um. You know, like kind of the Vegas odds imputed or whatever, you know, to mm-hmm. kind of take take into, um, you know how bet, how a better team shouldn't take that bet, right? So there are models, um, that do that, that that kind of take in into that, uh, that 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 idea that a better team shouldn't take that risk as much as a, a worse team. So, you know, that's a that's a definitely a component to to think through when you're making that decision. I think on one of your shows they talked about, um, you know you know, that the short run game wasn't executing as well. So maybe that's a, another thing to kind of think through. So there there are another, a number of aspects. And really that's kind of one of the key things with all of this is that those models are just a tool in the decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. You have to kind of think about where that all fits in. So in, into the bigger bigger scheme of things going on. So oh.
3: Let's see, it's my turn, isn't it? Uh, I think so. I think I'm all the way down to my second one already. (laughs) So (laughs) 40%, 25%, and 31%. The Ravens converted six of 15 times, 40% on third down. Uh, It was their eighth consecutive game of 40-plus conversions. That's the longest in team history. And I'm told this. I did not check it independently, by the way. So I was want to toss that out there. And meanwhile, they held the Panthers to 25%. That's just three of 12. That was the fourth consecutive game's the Ravens have held their opponent to under a 31% conversion rate. So 30.8 is the highest four out of 13 during that period. Um, This, this week, uh, you know, the defense uh, uh, was certainly more impressive on the conversion front. 40% exactly is not particularly good um, in in the NFL. It's probably, I don't know if it's slightly below average or slightly above average, but it's not particularly either way. Uh, But the 25% is certainly way above average in terms of its uh, uh, defensively. The, defense right now looks to me like they are coming together in a way we could only have hoped for emergence of Patrick Queen obviously Kyle Hamilton go down is a big loss but his emergence has been huge for you. the addition of Roquan Smith the return of all the outside linebackers the uh this solidity and now the optimization that's available in terms of playing those front five players uh is, is at uh all time high. I think this this defense will be one of the best in the NFL the rest of the way. Part of that will be opponent driven. The other part is they are just hellaciously talented right now. And hopefully uh there won't be more injuries coming.
4: Yeah, and then you throw in Marcus Williams who, you know, just got uh designated for return. You know, he'll probably be back in maybe two or three weeks or so. Um and you know, throw that ball hawk at the in the in the backside of your defense and and that's another um, fantastic uh, we- weapon to have, um, and I, you know, I think the great thing about the defense is they all seem to be really feeding off of each other. I yeah. think that's the the big thing. Is um, another thing you had mentioned on one of your shows, and you really can see it, is that these plays aren't made singu- you know, singularly. This isn't, you know, this isn't one person doing it. It, it really it is a full team effort. Whether it's Roquan and Patrick Queen, whether it's the 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 inside pressure and the outside pressure getting to the QB, whether it's Peters and, and uh, Humphrey with the turnover, it's just, it, it really, you know, you can really see them getting together and, and gelling. And uh, I think that's just going to continue throughout the rest of the season. And, uh, and and they are going to be a huge component of how far this team goes.
3: So yeah, I, I don't want to repeat what I said in the other shows, because you did a great job of, of summarizing it there. But if you talk to the 2000 Ravens players, if you talk to, You know, Sir before he was gone, of course, and and, uh, uh, Ray Lewis would be a big one. But Rod Woodson would be another good one who would tell you the same thing. The word they're going to use is trust, is that, you know, you're on a defense like that that has so much talent back to front, you completely trust, get to your spot, provide your assignment properly, and the guy behind you will make the play if you set him up to do so. Uh, And the other part that comes with that trust is knowing that they're going to hustle to the play. You know that everybody behind you and and yourself too really needs to be trusted to hustle to the football, to hustle to the appropriate spot, um, and 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 make that follow up play when there is a missed tackle or there is, uh, you know, an assignment where a block gets made, but but he's otherwise positioned well. Uh, I just think this defense looks like they have it right now. Uh, that, that uh, it's just. It's it's a it is a pleasure to watch them play defense. It's almost like the 2000 team, and then I'm saying I'm not saying they're as good as that team, but um, it, it's almost fun to watch them go take the field after a nice punt has pinned the opponent back inside the twenty.
4: Yep, absolutely. Just uh, <laughs> you look forward to kind of having the defense go out there, you know, which is a, a rarity, rarity for sure. So, all right, my next set of numbers is 81.25 uh, percent and 36 percent. 81.25% is the percentage of pass plays this last week uh, when they were in 11, 12, uh, 02, or 13 personnel, basically when, when they didn't have two running backs, a, AKA Patrick Ricard, on the field. Uh, so that was 26 out of 32 plays. Um, on the other side uh, of the coin, uh, when they were in 21 or 22 personnel, they passed 36% of the time. Which means they ran sixty four percent of the time. Uh, they're really kind of going, kind of as expected with uh, you know when Ricard's on the field running it uh, a really high percent, and when he's not on the field, uh, passing it almost every every down. And um, you know one of the things about this offense is that their tight ends specifically are are so. Um, you know, multi-talented whether it be blocking or receiving and and kind of the whole idea was that you get these side ends on on the field and then you have no idea what what whether they're going to run or pass mm-hmm. and i really haven't seen that uh from the offense uh, lately and i think they've become a little bit um a little bit predictable based off of their personnel and um you know some of it is the downs and distance and everything like that but um you know i really i, I really hope that they can kind of get back to um, dictating the defensive personnel and then doing the opposite in order to take advantage of it.
3: Tendency breaking. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I think that part of that, it's not just down a distance because that obviously is, is, is part of it. But the other, other thing is that they're winning these games so substantially that th- they're going to run anyway. And that's the end of the saints game, the end of the Panthers game or a lot of runs when they were on offense. And, you know, just you know, teams teams run because they win. I always have to make sure I'm getting that right when I say it. Uh, so I I uh, I, I do kind of understand why that is. And the other thing about Isaiah likely lost all his snaps in this game, back to Andrews, and he was in more in designated receiving situations, which speaks to your point there, that you know likely being on the field was a big tell before the two weeks. That he played more snaps and became a bigger part of the offense, uh, particularly as a run blocker. Mm-hmm. And I thought they would continue with that. I mean, you know, you don't need Nick Boyle to be on the field for a lot of snaps if you have Isaiah Likely, and he can provide you uh, it, the the combination of a blocking threat and a and a receiving threat.
4: Yeah, or Patrick Card for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, for you know for the kind of passing downs or running downs. You know, throw. Throw likely in there and you know run out of that if if you trust him as blocking. But um, uh, that's not to say I, Patrick Ricard. I'm a huge fan and and he does uh, phenomenally. So um, I just I I hope that they can get back to using the personnel and and as you said tendency breakers and and kind of get um, get a little less predictable.
3: All right, let's see. Is it my turn now? One ten point one. 4.2 86.4 and 4.1 110 yards per game allowed um, by the Jacksonville Jaguars is 10th in the NFL and 4.2 yards per rush is eighth by the way incredible to me 4.2 yards per rush is the eighth best in the NFL so teams are rushing for higher yards per play now in a passing league which is which is a interesting trend um the Ravens on the other hand 86.4 yards per game allowed which is third and 4.1 yards per rush which is seventh, so just ahead of the Jags in in that particular category. Um, Flipping to the other side of the ball, the Ravens have 5.4 yards per carry as a team. That's second. Jacksonville's fourth at 5.08. This is a battle not only of two of the league's best rushing offenses, but two of the league's best rushing defenses. And looking at the yards per game um, allowed by Seattle, the 10th best at, or sorry, by uh, Jacksonville at 110 yards per game. That number is really impressive because Jacksonville has been behind in a lot of games and the other team has been running because they're winning. And, you know, you figure you're, whether you do it efficiently or not, you're going to pile up some yards as you're doing that. And Jacksonville still held the opponents to, to 110 yards per game. So uh I, I think considering their record, I think they're probably, um you know, very close to the Ravens in terms of their ability to stop the run.
4: Yeah, that's really Im- impressive. I think they have a really uh, pretty decent linebacking core, uh, if I re- recall correctly. Um, and I wonder if some of that is play count driven. You know, if, if you've got kind of r- a really good rushing team, you kind of naturally um, have, have fewer downs, right? We've yeah, seen that, um, fewer downs on defense, but... um so I, we could have a, a record low number of snaps in this game, uh, both teams wanting to just run the ball and, and kind of uh, have the clock get going. So um, it, it'll definitely be interesting. But um, it, it's I think it is going to come down to, you know, whether those cancel each other out where kind of, you know, the other aspects. And, and I think that's where the Ravens do have an edge, uh, even though we haven't kind of seen it, you know, phenomenally this last couple weeks but i do think they have the edge over over jacksonville so all right i'll go ahead and and, uh, give my numbers about jacksonville as well uh 31 and 4.3 percent jacksonville is 31st in defensive pass dvoa and uh, their sack rate is is 4.3 percent which is 30th so those are two areas where i think um you know Uh, Baltimore really needs to take advantage of that pass defense. You just talked about how strong their run defense is. So, um, you know, I really hope that, uh, you know, we can, Lamar can kind of right the ship a little bit and, um, and really take advantage of this weak defense. Um, The low sack rate should be a a nice break, uh, especially if it, if uh, McCary uh, has to play a left tackle, which is looking more and more likely. So Um, you know, hopefully they can, uh, have a strong performance on that end. So,
3: yeah, I, I I heard it's going to be about 70 degrees. Actually, it looks like 78 and somewhat rainy with 15 mile per hour winds on Sunday. Well, we're going to the game. I'm not looking forward to that nearly as much now. <laughs> but uh, I, I, the, the heat will certainly be better Lamar uh, weather, but wind is not a good thing for Lamar. Anything that, that basically allows that defense to compact around the line of scrimmage is, is generally speaking, I think, a bad thing uh, for the Ravens offense. Uh, anyway, we'll see how that uh, works out. I'll go to my next number, which is 530, very simply. That's the winning percentage for teams coming off a of bye since 2000 you will hear that number and i will tell you that does not tell you the full story i don't i don't have the full story number but the full story number is the what's the winning percentage of teams coming off a bye when the other team is not coming off a bye and so I'll, you have a lot of just because of the, the the number of weeks that can have a bye in the nfl you have a lot of teams that are coming off a bye on the same week and play each other uh it's been a case for you know several Several years for the Ravens having a having a a, a buy of that type, um, where, where it's where it's a shared buy. Uh, so, because by definition the winning percentages are five hundred for all those teams with a shared buy, you can take up a whole bunch of five hundred play out of that five thirty, and you'd be left with maybe five fifty. Sound sound reasonable in terms of
4: at least yeah yeah
3: thereabouts yeah. that that you would uh, you would have for the teams that are that are solo coming off a buy. Uh I complain about this ooh four times a year on the show, but i'll i 'll take one more time to do it here is that the n f l scheduling needs to get their crap together on this there's no reason at all why any team ever has to face anyone coming off an uneven rest schedule like this with a with a buy. You just schedule divisional games always after buys, so you schedule divisional buys and then divisional games, and you don't have this problem. It is a very simple formulaic non set theory expert way to do that uh and and it doesn't i don't believe it would constrain the number of high quality schedules you could produce either so uh i i don't know why the nfl has decided that's not part of what they want to do but for whatever reason they have
4: yeah it's the whole scheduling process is so
2: by now you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tall Boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week, I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week, it was taking a cooler full of liquid death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down liquid death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take liquid death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash filmstudy. That's liquiddeath.com slash filmstudy.
4: Weird that it's such a black box thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, they could do this and and take out uh, one aspect that, that's so variable without impacting the quality of the TV matchups at all. like.
3: Let me let me ask you a question. The black box is part of the problem. What if the what if they came back at us and they actually had an internal formula they're using for schedule fairness in terms of maybe they have miles of travel and other considerations that I don't have in my annual schedule uh, complaint column that I write. <laughs> but if 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 they added transparency in the nfl would that make you happy if they said you know baltimore already had a plus 18 schedule so we didn't mind having them come with one other team coming off a buy we didn't think that was unfair given how few miles they have to travel and the fact that you know if we don't give the 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 team coming off a buy we have to give it to arizona or something they're already traveling a ton of miles would you feel any better if they if they gave reasoning on that that uh, said, Hey, we want to keep everybody between, you know, plus 10 and minus 10 in terms of the quote unquote score we're, we're using here. And here's how, here's how we did it.
4: Would I feel any better as an individual fan? Maybe not, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you still are, are passionate about your, your, uh, you know, your team and, and, and can kind of see differently than, than other, um, than, than others may. But, uh, you know, I think, trying to be objective i think it would help uh you know sitting here now i'm not even convinced the nfl even pretends that they <laughs> are trying to be fair like I, I do they say that they're trying to make balanced schedules i don't know that i've ever seen heard no. them explicitly say like oh no we you know make sure that they're all balanced i think they're more concerned about money and and uh the, the TV than anything else when they make these decisions.
3: Yeah. And and I I guess maybe they should be. Let's just divert here for a second. I know this is, this is longer than we intended to go, but uh, the other thing that would would really be a topic for transparency would be if we really understood how a, a particular officiating crew was marked down or scored for their performance for a game. Wouldn't you like to know how many points, Jerome Boger's crew is docked for not understanding what the rule was on when you can challenge a play on the sideline or, you know, for the quick whistle that they blew on the on the Humphrey fumble return TD? Uh,
4: I, I don't know. If you, if you see that and then you see them again later in the season as your ref, does it make you feel better? I don't know. Um, there's nothing you can really do about it, like mid-season at least. Um, I think they do, you know, I, I, I believe they do in the NFL at least, kind of choose the best ones in order for the playoffs and everything like that. I know they do in, in some sports. Yes, yeah. um, kind of like a Pro Bowl, basically <laughs> for for uh, officials. Um, but it is amazing the the range, and uh, I think across the board there's some, been some um, some some rough officiating this year. Um, you know, I think I think both sides of the you know, both teams benefit and and everything like that. I think even this last game, the Ravens got away with some, there was one play, I think it was Drake. that was moving so early. Like he took two steps or something like that before the ball was snapped and it wasn't called a, um, a, a, a false start. So, uh, you know, it does happen both ways, but, um, but, uh, but it is, it is weird to see such veteran officials, um, still, uh, fall short every year. So it's, it's something that I often, uh, in am MMA that such a, um, you know, high revenue organization like the NFL doesn't invest more in such a crucial part of the game. So, right. but that's a, a discussion for another day, I guess. Um, all right. My, is it my turn for the next number? Yes. yes. All right. Okay. So my next number is, uh, set of four numbers. So 0.1, negative uh, 0.14, 50%, and 37%. So this is a look at early versus late down success uh, on dropbacks. Uh, so early is first and second down, late third and fourth down. Uh, so on EPA basis for dropbacks, he's got a, an average EPA uh, on early downs of 0.1, which is 14th highest. Um and then on late dropdowns, however, he's got an average EPA of negative 0.14, so 19th highest. So naturally does drop down into third downs and everything like that versus early downs, but uh, more so for Lamar than kind of other teams um, uh, across the NFL. On a success rate basis, where success is just anything that improves EPA, so kind of trying to take out uh, how much EPA can change on first and in- – you know early versus late downs uh success rate of 50 percent on early downs which is 13th best versus 37 percent on late downs which is 21st best so he's he's definitely not performing nearly as well on dropbacks uh you know, on the late downs versus the early downs for comparison looking at the run plays uh early downs an Epa of 0.03 versus on late downs Point four five, so a huge wow. difference on on uh run plays and on success rate 45% versus 69%. So um looking much better late down run plays uh and and much uh, not nearly as uh, strong on pass plays.
3: Are those his run plays or are those any any Ravens run plays? Any
4: Ravens. Any okay. Ravens run plays. So it's it's Dropbacks versus run plays, design run plays. Yeah.
3: and it probably is true that a lot of there were some short yardage runs, no doubt, but there are probably a lot of lot of late down runs that are Jackson scrambles or Jackson uh, runs of some sort.
4: Yeah, and and the thing about the short distance runs, though, there is a higher expectation of success or higher expectation of conversion already built into the model. So, you know, if you are third and one or whatever you're pretty darn likely to, to convert that. So converting it, you know, because that's easy, doesn't actually give you a higher percent chance of kind of uh, a large EPA. Um, it, it may give you a higher percent chance of a success because even a small e- increase, the EPA uh, would be a success, but um, but it, it kind of shrinks down your um, your, your EPA possible uh, on, on that kind of... Uh, minimal down or, or minimal remaining distance.
3: So, Gotcha. Okay. Uh, my turn, right? Yep. Uh, minus 3% and 28.1%. The minus 3% is the total Devoa for the Jags. They are 13th in offense, 26th in defense, and 13th in special teams. Uh, they accumulated that versus the fourth easiest schedule in the league. And I always forget whether or not Devoa includes already a component for the schedule faced in their Devoa rankings. I think it might be opponent adjusted, but the Ravens at plus 28.1% Devoa are fifth in offense, 11th in defense. That's going to improve a lot, guys. And first in special teams accumulated versus the ninth most difficult schedule. So uh, even with, uh, or or perhaps buoyed by the adjustments made, the Ravens are up to 28.1% and the, and the, Jags may may have been a zero team overall or, or a slight positive even, but their easy schedule has dragged them into negative territory. Uh, the Jags did have decisive wins over the Colts and Chargers in weeks two and three of this year. They beat the Colts 24-0, the Chargers 38-10. Um, it has been a long time since then, and they've lost six out of seven. The only win came against the Raiders, who are just terrible. So uh, uh, Jags are are reeling uh, this bye week unfortunately came out at a bad time for the Ravens or I think they probably would have been favored by more in this game
4: yeah I think it's uh it's definitely a matchup that the Ravens need to take advantage of uh despite despite the bye week um you know I, I think the Ravens defense you know are all the way up to 11th is pretty impressive <laughs> considering I think they were probably I think they were around 30th or 30 second or something like that uh, after a few after three weeks so um amazing the turnaround on their end and you know so I really think um you know they've got uh, the Ravens have a lot going for them right now and um the jags as you as you mentioned, it's been a while since they've uh, seen something positive so um hopefully we can keep that going so all right, uh, my last set of numbers is um is 16 and four percent. Since week three, the Ravens have only allowed 16 explosive plays. Uh, and, and this definition I'm using is 20 or more yards uh, gained. Uh, this is the lowest in the NFL um, uh, across the board. Uh, that's and 16 plays. That's 4%. So one out of 25 plays, which is second best in the NFL, only behind Dallas. Um only two plays last week, two explosive plays last week and one the week before. So they're, they're not only are they doing well on the turnovers doing well on third down conversions, but they're also really limiting the kind of explosive plays, which are, which we've seen and talked about before that are huge components of, um, you know, an offense scoring. So being able to limit that makes it really difficult on the offense, uh, the other, the opposing offense, match that with your third down conversion uh, percentages and and you are in a really good spot.
3: So if 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 memory serves the the big play against the Saints was also the missed tackle by Peters on the sideline on the disputed play, right?
4: Yeah, so that maybe shouldn't even count. <laughs> so, not, right. Yeah. yeah, throw that one out. So, there you go.
3: All right, two numbers to finish us up here, 13.9% and 0%. So I'm using the PFR statistics. PFF has a little tougher measure for this, for missed tackles. And Patrick Queen, through the first five weeks of the season, had a 13.9% missed tackle percentage. I think that's actually generous. It would be higher by PFF standards, somewhere in the 17 or 18% range. But here's the big news. Since then, last five games... He has made 39 tackles without a miss, according to PFR. If you believe PFF, he's made 38 tackles and had one miss during that stretch. So very efficient tackling uh, at a completely different level. And it's not just he's he for the first four weeks of this, I'm going to say he did a great job of being better at hanging on for dear life, I'll say. So he made some stops. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, 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 to downgrade him in that way, but he made a lot of twister tackles too, where he's making sure he's getting the guy down. Um, but there may be a, a little bit of additional drag in here. This last game, he was in the gap stopping people. So I, I just, I, I am so happy with this turnaround. It's been protracted now, but it's even been elevated, I believe in this last game, uh, it, whether it's Zach or whether it's Roquan or whether this is all Patrick Queen kind of figuring out all at once. I, I don't really care, but it's but it's wonderful. And the Ravens ought to try and figure out what helped them replicate this. If it is Roquan, if he came in and, you know, as making Patrick Queen a better player, it really does increase the impetus necessary to sign him. I believe. I mean, if if you if if he was not the guy who did it, well, you know, maybe Patrick Queen can take a spot next year. You save twenty million on the cap, and you spend it on Lamar or, or, or wherever else that's appropriate. So you're not paying two inside linebackers. But if 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 Roquan is really the one making Patrick Queen this much better, uh, Ravens can't afford not to sign him. Uh, if that's the case, so they hopefully they'll do some self scouting and really figure this out. The other thing about this is that you've got to consider what's the what's the what's the chance of regression because we we certainly have seen regression at times from Patrick Queen before but the the main part was he's never gotten to this level as a tackler ever i actually think it's very unlikely that he'll regress now significantly now he may not be he he's not going to play as well as he did in this last game every single game because you know nobody can keep that up but is he going to regress as a tackler such that he's not you know, getting to the hole appropriately. He's not sticking people in the hole uh, and standing them up as opposed to, you know, twisting them down, holding on for dear life, giving up extra yakko, um, uh, to, to on run plays. Um, you know, I think he probably has flipped the switch and he's enjoying being a good defensive player so much that I can't see him regressing at this point. Where are you on that?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, first – First, uh, kind of to talk about where it came from, I think it's probably all of those things, really. You know, I think a lot of it is also probably mental. You know, I feel like uh, a lot of it probably is him thinking too much and just kind of being able to kind of, you know, get the monkey off your back and just go out there and play and kind of have fun and, and success kind of breeds more success. So I think that's a, a lot of it. Um, as far as his regression, I think because of, because of that aspect of it, I think that it's less likely for him to uh, to regress, in my opinion. Uh, however, the only thing I think that could really kind of lead to it is is like uh, you know, knock on wood, an injury to Roquan or an injury to to something uh, a, a different defensive player that would change his assignment, uh, change his you know um, you know the the kind of success that he's seen, the the types of role that he's being asked to play. You know, kind of more see you know. See ball, hit ball, sort of, sort of deal, you know, um, and and I think that could be the the kind of one thing that could could cause a step back. And I think that happens not just to him, but to players all the time. Is when they are forced out of their natural position or natural role, they kind of you know become less successful, right? So I think mm-hmm. that that'd be the that'd be the hardest thing to see. I think is uh, is to just to have something like that stop his momentum. For,
3: yeah, I have people who have been also down on Adafi Owe, but he's one of the guys I'm really high on for the rest of the season. He had a big pressure game this time, five pressures as I counted. I know PFF had only two, but uh, I I count them on the th- up to three seconds and when they're in the cone, and and Owe's pressures really was a big part of the defense in that second half, and he did it only, only 14 plays that resulted in a pass or sec, sack. He had five pressures, so rate was up there. Uh, he looks like he's, got, he's back playing the right position again, to your point about having the role you're most comfortable with, playing on that rush side and uh, and not opposite a tight end, but back to trying to figure out how to beat a tackle all by himself on an island uh, where he can use a lot of uh, of his natural athletic gifts to create a pass rush plan.
4: Yeah. And I think this kind of goes back, uh, just to say one more thing on about it is, you know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about the, you know, selfless defense and things like that you know you he may not show up immediately in the sack numbers but you know whether it leads someone to scramble from the pocket and you know get tackled by roquan or, or patrick queen or by justin houston you know who's who's gotten a few a few cleanup yeah. sacks himself so or Calais campbell for that matter so um you know you can he can have a huge impact even if he's not having a direct impact on the on the stat. Um, you know, the, the kind of top line stat numbers. So, and I think he has with, like you mentioned, you know, looking at the pressures, that's, uh, that's kind of one of the ones that, you know, people may not look at first is uh, is pressures in and, you know, but but seeing him have that high of a number for that low of sacks just kind of shows the impact that he's having. So.
3: Yeah. Outstanding. Uh, always a blast to do this show with you, my friend, uh, tell folks where they can find you and talk football with you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great one. Um, reach out on Twitter, uh, DP Reese in uh, eight. Happy to talk Ravens or, or football, whatever. Um, just uh, want to say to everyone, have a happy Thanksgiving and uh, you know have a, a safe and happy holidays for everyone.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mirror that entirely, especially the safe part here. You'll 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 do some drinking and hopefully get home get home safe. Uh, be careful out there on the road. You know, there's a lot of people who've who've had a couple. Uh, tomorrow night. So uh, anyway, appreciate you listening. If you have a film study short you'd like to do, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. You know by now what that what's going on with that. Uh, Dan, we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Talk to you next time on film study.